The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn about the week ahead in stocks. I'm on the line with Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison. Ben, I missed our calls when we were both on vacation this summer, but it's good to be back on the air with you. How are you? Doing well. And yeah, we both had a bit of vacation this summer, didn't we? So we it was we nice. certainly did. I think the rest of the world is off at the end of August, but not Barron's. Oh, not us. No. So I want to start with the big picture. A lot happened uh, when I was away last week, as you wrote in the trader column this past weekend, the markets finally heard the Fed's message. Fed Chair Jay Powell said it loud and clear at Jackson Hole last week. The Fed will raise interest rates to curb inflation, and there will be pain ahead to the economy and the markets. The stock market has been sinking like a stone, or more like a boulder, I should say, since he made those remarks. What do you think the Fed is likely to do this fall? Walk us through the probable playbook. Well, I think the the most interesting thing to me about it was, or one of the most interesting things is that we had all this focus uh, before the meeting on kind of whether it's going to be a 75 basis points or a 50 basis points rate hike uh, in September. Um, and, and we actually have seen like a little bit of a shift where now people aren't worrying so much about the actual rate hikes themselves, whether it's half a point or three quarters of a point, it's kind of immaterial. It's about the final level of those rates and how soon the Fed will have to pivot to cutting. I think coming into the meeting, people were really hoping that the Fed would go up and then it would come right back down. And the main point that came out of the meeting, I think, is that the Fed is not only going to keep raising rates to fight inflation, but it's going to probably have to leave rates higher for a while to make sure that inflation actually comes down. And that is something the market really didn't want to believe. I mean, it really wanted um, this pivot to happen. And, And you saw it kind of in the trading action last week. When you had a you know couple bad days to start to start the week off, when people were saying, okay, maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, and it would have been nice to see that kind of selling go on into the meeting. I think you could have had a bounce, maybe, but instead you had a bit of a rebound, and investors seemed to walk back and say, no, no, this is not going to be a problem. And guess what? It was a pretty big problem. It's going to be a problem, big problem, right? It really should. I mean, it's uh, when we had the the big drop in the market, it was a lot of the stocks are being affected were just these expensive uh, growth stocks. Um, And it really comes down to no like you can't price these things unless you know where monetary policy is going to end, where rates going to end, how long are they going to stay there? I mean, ultimately, the market is one if you're a long term investor, it's, it's a big math game. You know, the, the, the analysts have models, they're plopping into there what they think the uh, interest rates are going to be so they can come out with their discounted cash flow um, value for it. And if you don't know these numbers, it makes it really hard to evaluate a company. And so not only do we not know where what the right rate is for that, but you also just have, you know, the, the whole the economy. We just don't know 
quite where it's headed. Um, so it makes it really hard to do the earnings side of things too. And it just makes it really difficult to say, you know, to feel confident about your outlook for any uh, real individual stocks. It seems to me very strange that after basically a 40 year bull market in bonds and, and a 40 year decline in rates, suddenly rates should go up and again, come right back down. It, it seems like there's some sort of longer term correction that has to happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how high rates have to go or if they have, can go lower. Um, but I agree with you that the markets tend to really move in big cycles. Um, that's and, what I'm seeing precisely. Right. And it's, it's strange that, uh, I think it's hard at these moments to, to identify whether it's really the end of the cycle. I think perhaps people thought it was the end of the cycle back in 2008, 2009. Um, but this one really does feel like it, and, and, and not just because of the, the Fed, um, but just because of the shifts that seem to be happening on a geopolitical level, um, this kind of bifurcation that seems to be happening in the world, even if it's happening at a kind of a slow pace, the unwinding of supply chains. All these things were really good for uh, keeping inflation low, um, keeping costs low. Um, and if they're unwound, you have to think that, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be turbulence. And, it, you know, you, you often end up with these periods where you get, um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of a general trend higher in, in stocks. Um, but then you do get something like a five to 10 year period where they really just go sideways and you get uh, big bounces and uh, big drops. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get something like that or if we're in the midst of something like that right now. We're going to have to wait to see, but it, it will still give us plenty of trading opportunities as things go on. Yeah, very much I so. I want to ask you, we've got a midterm election coming this November. Every four years, we say it's a critical midterm election. But how do you think voters are going to interpret the Fed's talk, economic trends, and so forth? How, how do you think they will take a look at the markets? It's probably too soon to tell, but what is what is the early read on Wall Street? Yeah, it is hard to tell. I mean, I think where the interesting things I've come across uh, recently is it was in a note from Fundstrat's uh, Tom Lee, and he was pointing out that in the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, expectations for inflation are much higher among Republicans uh, than everybody else um, by about two percentage points, if I'm remembering it correctly. Does he say why? Um, no, I think it's just that it's our political leanings um, skew how we think about the world. And we look, listen to the talking points coming out of um, the, the, um, the, the news programs that we watch and the, the um, people that we listen to. Um, and among um, different types of uh, pundits, you might hear a different message. And um, it, it, I think that makes it really hard for the, the Fed, first of all, because inflation is so much based on expectations. Um, it, you know, it can keep growing if people expect it to, to keep going. And that makes the Fed's job harder. Um, but it also is going to complicate things. Um, I mean, we already know that we have a polarized, um, or I should say, at the extremes, voters are very entrenched. Um, and it'll be interesting to see um, how it um, how it plays out. What interests me more, I think, is, um, you know, the midterm election year is known as being a particularly difficult one um, for the market. Um, you know, they've studied how the market performs over the entire election cycle. And it's the midterm year that is always the most difficult. And it's usually difficult right up into, I think, October-ish, um, right before the election itself. And then there's usually a rally into the end of the year. 
Um, and so I don't know the outcome. Um, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't even try to call it. It's so far out. Uh, at oh, that, of course not. Um, uh, for what I do, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we could see more market volatility heading into that election than a rally coming out. Well, I don't feel so badly about that because we're almost at October. We are almost are. I mean, it's amazing <laughs> how quickly this year has gone. I mean, it's a couple more days. We're in September and we know it, it'll be uh, October. Then I'll be celebrating New Year's. Right. Something like that. Anyway, we've been talking in the office about what to do as an investor if you think the hard landing scenario is going to prevail. People have talked about for many months whether the Fed will be able to bring down inflation without cratering the economy. Now, based on Powell's comments, the betting is on a harder landing. So perhaps you can summarize our discussions at the office and add your own thoughts. How would you position for a more difficult economy, maybe even a recession? Sure. Um, well, th there is a feeling among in the office that, uh, you know, the, the Fed is setting us up for a hard landing. Um, I'm, I think that's true, but I also think that it's um, that drawing that conclusion from just the, the past couple of days is uh, probably um, it's not necessarily the right conclusion. Let me put it that way. You and um, I are the office contrarians. We should know. We are. Um, <laughs> well, I think both you and I, we really try to stay ahead of what the, the, the market is, is doing and what is pricing. And what surprised me through this entire rally up, it wasn't that we got a rally because the rally came off that, off that June boat. It came really when it was when it should have happened. If you look at the technicals on the market in terms of like how oversold it was, all these things, that's where you should have had a rally. What caught me by surprise was the the size of the rally. The fact that you got over 20%, more than 25% gain in the NASDAQ really shocked me. Um, partially because it seemed to indicate that people were really taking this idea of a Powell pivot very seriously. And that 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 made no sense. Um, but, but there are reasons to think that, you know, we could be having a hard landing, that the timing of it might not be as clear. As I said, when you get to this November election, you often get uh, a move higher in the market. Um, we even saw that in, I think, um, in 2008, that that wasn't a midterm year. We got a rally to the, the end of the year before the end, beginning of 2009, um, the market cratered again. Um, but it also, it's very strange, but we still don't know if a recession is coming. We haven't seen the three-month uh, 10-year invert yet, um, the three-month treasury and the 10-year treasury. And that's the real yield curve, either that or the one-month 10-year. Um, it doesn't really make that much of a difference, but those are the ones that people are really watching to see invert. And they could very possibly invert in September when the Fed hikes rates again. The strange thing is that the market often rallies after an inversion. Um, and so this is, I was talking to Barry Bannister over a steeple about this. You could get a nice rally into the recession before it really all falls apart. Um, and, so and, what and do so, you do, though? How, how do you think investors ought to be positioned at this point? I, I just think we have to be risk averse. Um, I, I, I think the idea that uh, coming out of this bounce in, if you're not a trader, okay, if you're a trader, and you think that the, the market's going to bounce, you want to be loading up on all this high beta stuff, this risky stuff, this junky stuff, because that's always what rallies the most um, off of a market bottom. But it's also the stuff that gets hit the hardest um, when it's not the bottom. And so I think you just have to play it safe. 
Um, I think that means looking at things like um, low volatility stocks. Um, you know, they were all the rage uh, a decade ago. Um, they lost, uh, you know, they fell from favor a little bit as people's uh, risk appetite got a little bit higher. But uh, they do pretty well in this kind of environment. Um, you know, those are they're, they're just uh, stocks that, uh, that, that, you know, tend to not have big moves. And right now, that's a pretty good thing. Um, you want to have dividend payers. Uh, and of course, you want to make sure that they have the ability to pay those dividends. But dividend stocks are a great thing because they sort of give you that little bit of extra return in a market that might not be trending um, up the way that uh, we're so used to. Um, there are certain uh, sectors that might do well. I think healthcare is one that uh, hits sort of a lot of the sweet spots. It tends to be a low volatility sector, but it also um, it tends to um, have a lot of cash returns to, to shareholders. Um, so I think you want to, you know, play it a little bit safe in the stock market itself. Um, I, I think cash is not a bad thing, especially given that um, rates are, are going up. Um, you know, we've had discussions in the newsroom about things like bond barbells. You know, like, when was the last time we talked about a bond barbell? Uh, but that's the concept of, you know, you you buy a uh, like a, a one month um, and you keep by staggering it all the way up out to 10 years on a treasury. And then when the one month uh, uh matures you take the money you put it back into a new tenure but everything else is moving downwards and so you keep having money new money coming due that you could put to work on materials. and i think that's a not a not a bad strategy but you do have the option in cash of actually making a little bit of money now i mean not after inflation but you could get uh, 1.5 to 2 percent um on high yield checking accounts and can get uh, over three percent in a two-year treasury that that's not a bad thing it's um, not chop liver, as they say. No, and I think that you just need to be. Um, I, I, I think we just have to think again about, you know, it's always that uh, when the market gets like this, we go back to basic principles. But it's it's very easy to get to this thinking of, oh, the market's always going to go up. You know, we wait for it to drop, and it, it just bounces again, and just you know, get overextended in parts of our portfolio. And I think we just have to, you know, get back to thinking about how should our portfolios look in a more normal environment where you can actually get some return off your cash and off your bonds? Hey, that's a good point. So let's talk about earnings this week because that is always part of our call. Um, I want to start with two retailers reporting on Tuesday, Best Buy and Chewy. Chewy is the online pet products company. Best Buy, we all know, sells consumer electronics. What do you think we're going to learn from these retailers about their companies and about the state of the consumer? Um, I, I think that we're going to find out, at least from, from Best Buy, that consumers still aren't ready to come back and buy stuff. Um, you know, they, what we're seeing at Best Buy is that, you know, traffic was probably terrible during the second quarter or during um, this quarter that's ending now. Um, that's coming from Placer AI, which looks at uh, foot traffic at, at stores. Um, and it, But it probably did start to get less bad in July, but that's still not good. Um, and, you know, you look at their earnings, they're expected to report a profit of a buck twenty nine, And that's down from $2.98 a year ago. Um and the stock has rallied um, over the past few months. It's up 16%, even though this year it's down uh, 27%. I just think that's a kind of setup where you have to be a little bit worried that, uh, you know, if they're not starting to see a turnaround in people buying these electronic goods, then 
what's going to drive the stock higher, especially after it's had a bit of a rally. So I'd be a little cautious with Best Buy. Um, what about Chewy? Chewy's another one. Chewy, I recommended uh, in the trader column um, right before uh, last quarter's earnings. And the stock has been incredible since then. Um, I think uh, since, since I, I wrote about it, it's up 40. It had been up even more from its actual June low. I think it's up even close to 70 or 80%. Um, wow, good call. Um, it, it, it was it was amazing. Um, and it's partially just because I, I think the timing of it was appropriate. Like all these stocks, these internet retailers got washed out. Um, everybody hated them. Everyone was expecting the worst and Chewy didn't deliver the worst. Um, I worry about it. A little bit now because you have had this massive rally um and you still have you know it's going to do well this uh, i was reading a ubs report or an rbc report actually this is saying that you know the um the, the companies could do well in consumables so basically pet food um but the discretionary is not there we actually heard that from petco when they reported earlier this uh earnings season um, discretionary spending isn't down, and that's where they really make up the margin. So I think this could be a risky uh, earnings season for Chewy. Um, the good news is it has pulled back a little bit, um, but this really has been quite a, a three-month rally for the stock. Yeah, rare to see these days, that kind of that kind of a move. So Lululemon is another retailer reporting this week. The company has very high hopes for itself, but those of us who follow the yoga pants market know that competition is on the way. So will Lulu make its numbers? What's ahead here? Well, I found an interesting note from Jeffries, um, from Randall Bonick, and he actually says they're going to have no problem making the number, that the number this quarter should be strong. Um, they said belt bags probably helped. Um, and that, uh, that he expects the company to actually come out and say that their guidance uh, and reiterate their guidance. Um, and so that all sounds great, um, but he actually downgraded the stock, um, and he That's did. Interesting. It Why is interesting, that? right? I mean, yep. I, I read this. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out and buy Lululemon, and he, he says no. He says that they're going to, they're they're going to, they might reiterate this these long term projections. They're not going to make them. Um, he, he thinks they're too aggressive. He thinks their total revenue um, guidance is going to be too high. He thinks their uh, even margins are too high. He thinks their sales for men's and international, what they think they're going to make, is just too high. And so his conclusion was, we believe in coming quarters, Lulu will have to walk back its long-term projections as competition rises, markets weaken, and promos increase industry-wide. Um, so he, he's quite bearish um, on, on the stock. Um and it, I, I, what I find interesting about these these kind of calls, though, is that um, it's it's one that I would like to see after the earnings, if you will. Um, you know, if, if the stock would jump um, 10 percent because they beat their number um, when they report on Thursday, then I want to come in and, and, and try to uh, maybe sh then if I were a trader or whatever i want to come in and try to short the stock trying to do that before the number when you are now saying okay this is going to be a good quarter but we think all this bad stuff is happening I, i'm not sure how that plays out in the market um so it's going to be an interesting one to watch um he has uh kodak has a very good long-term record he was one of the uh, first analysts that i can remember um who pointed out the, uh, all the problems at victoria's secret and he was uh bearish on that stock basically until it ended up uh, um, splitting up. Um, 
and uh, so he, he's very good at what he does. So it'll be interesting to watch how this plays out. That's interesting. Good, good near-term trouble in the future. So moving on, we've got a couple of packaged food stocks reporting this week, Campbell Soup and Hormel Foods. And the stocks have been winners this year. They offer relative stability. They're called defensive stocks for a reason. And they offer pretty decent dividends. You think the future is going to look as good for defensive stocks and, and particularly for these companies? Um, I, I think let's, let's take them separately. Um, let's start with Campbell. Campbell's an interesting one because it's one where its main business is not great. Um, that soup business. Um, and they do get also a lot of competition from um, private label brands when people, um, you know, when it, it when people are tightening their belts, they, they can move down from, say, Campbell to the store brand um, and, and save some money that way. Um, and its sales are probably going to be fine. Um, Nielsen's numbers uh, suggest about 7.5% uh, organic growth. Um, according to UBS, and UBS thinks it might actually be higher, but UPS, UBS uh, still doesn't like the stock. Um, they, they actually think that expectations otherwise are too high. Um, the street expects Campbell to guide to about $2.90 a share for the year, um, but uh, the buy side is probably even higher. Um, and you still have this fact that Campbell's is losing market share. Um, and, and that could be a problem. Uh, that, that is a problem is that if that continues and they can't really stem that. It does pay a 2.9% dividend yield and, is, and it is in a safe sector. Um, and so that's helped it. Uh, it's gained, I believe, 17% this year. Uh, it's up 5.1% uh, over the past three months. Um, so it's been steady. Um, but it's not one I get excited about, if that makes sense. I'm I don't just, know. I get excited about a 17% gain this year. That That is true. The gains are exciting. The stock itself, I don't get excited about. Um, Got it. Because I, I, I do think that it's more of a macro thing right now than anything company specific that is uh, is really driving the shares. And what about Hormel? Hormel is interesting, too. Um, so they have a, a decent set. They haven't gained quite as much this year. They're up 4.7%, um, 5% over the uh, past three months. Um, they have two things that could really help set up earnings for them well. One is they gave really bad guidance, um, particularly around their turkey products at their, during their last quarter. Um, and J.P. Morgan says the guidance might not be as bad as they, um, that the actual numbers might not be as bad as the guidance. And that would be good for the stock. They also point out that um, you've had um, Jif peanut butter as uh, plants have had to shut down. That's owned by J.M. Smucker um, because of health issues. And that's actually allowing um, Hormel to get some market share in peanut butter. Um, and you also have some um, uh, price increases in the grocery stores that are starting to go through as well, and that can all help margins. So the setup there might uh, actually looks kind of interesting um, heading into the print. That will be on Thursday as well. All right. We'll be watching both of those. Interesting that, that both stocks have done well this year, and I'm sure many other food companies have too. I want to talk lastly about a pair of tech companies reporting this week. It's also last call for listener questions. If you have them, type them in and we'll get to them at the end of this call. HP and Broadcom are both reporting. You might call them old tech companies, but HP has found a fan in Berkshire Hathaway and Broadcom is projecting a very big jump in quarterly earnings, which seems notable to me. Tell us about the outlook for these companies. Well, HP had a pretty bad week because of Dell. 
um, Dell came out with earnings, uh, the earnings stunk. Um, they had problems with, um, uh, you know, the consumer PC business, but uh, they also had um, problems in the, uh, the enterprise business as well. Um, and, and that hit HP and pretty much anybody else who does PCs. Um, I, I think there's a chance that um, they they have enough stuff to offset the weakness that Dell pointed to, um, perhaps and printing um, and things like that. And they also are continuing to do a lot of buybacks. Um, so the numbers might hold up okay. Um, and the question will come down to the guidance then. Um, will they be able to maintain that? But I, I do think because of the sell-off heading into the um, into the print, um, I think they're actually down about 90% over the past three months um, with a pretty bad week last week, that there perhaps is room um, for them to rise given that, uh, that, that there has been kind of um, assumption that they're going to look a lot like Dell. Um, and I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. So I think the risk reward in this one might actually be skewed a little bit to the upside. Okay. Sounds good. And tell me about Broadcom. Broadcom, I, I wish I could figure this guy out. Um, <laughs> Mizuho called it the most important tech stock of the week. Um, they, they think that it's been a hiding place on the long side um, and that expectations are for a good quarter and a positive guide. Um, but there's been some stuff going on out there. Um, so like Marvell um, had a softer guide last week um, because there's pockets of slowness in the data centers. Um, I'm quoting from the note here. Um, and there are also these supply chain problems that uh, continue to go on. Um, and I think the biggest problem for Broadcom, though, might be that um, they're just a lot of expectations that the number will be good. And so Mizuho thinks that it actually needs to be able to uh, beat uh, earnings by a couple percentage points and be able to raise their guidance. Um, otherwise, the the stock could get hit pretty hard. Um, still, it's it's one stock that is actually in the tech sector where you look at the, just the raw numbers and it's actually expected to grow earnings. Um, a lot of tech stocks aren't doing that. Um, and so- uh, And a lot of earnings too. Yeah. Um, it, it's a pretty big, big jump there. It's uh, I think 955 is expected. That'd be up from 696. Um, and, and so it, it, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But if they can't get that big beat uh, that Mizuho uh, talks about, then uh, perhaps there's some real upside there. All right. And we should note that the company supplies software for data centers and networking and so forth. Yep. So, all right. Let's go to some listener questions. Then I'm going to circle back with a question on the economy. We had a question from Steve. Is it logical to think that since Powell, that's Jay Powell, intends to keep raising interest rates to fight inflation, that tech stocks will be depressed into next year? Or do you think that's too pessimistic? Um, I personally think that uh, that we're in a, a cycle where tech has to work off the, the big valuations and the big offside um, uh, just, just the fact that so many people were so long the sector, I just think that that has to be worked through. So I would expect tech to have its moments. I would expect tech to um, have uh, have certain tech stocks do well, but I think as a sector, it's going to be a tough one. All right. Gabriel is asking about oil stocks and LNG, liquid natu natural gas stocks. Are they safe stocks for the current market? Or do you see plenty of room for them to go up? Or, or are they a bad bet at the moment? Um, I 
I like to think that these are stocks that are going to do well, but I don't think we can call them safe. Um, you know, if we look at what happened to them after they, um, you know, they had this massive run up to start the year. Um, and sorry, I'm just going to try to do some quick math in my head. Um, but, uh, you know, they started the, the XLE, the ETF, started the year at about 55 and almost doubled. It got up to around 92 or 93. Um, but then it dropped from there all the way down to uh, about 65. So it lost about a third of its value. Um, so it's very, it's very, very volatile. Um, and I think that makes it, um, for most of us, that's not safe. You know, we don't want to see stocks that are going to, going to drop 30% over a period of just, um, you know, that was really a month and a half, not, not even. Um, on the other hand, I think that it's a sector where when it does get hit hard, it's probably a decent time to buy. It's been so um, unfavored. It's been hated right, for so right. long that I just think it makes sense to, to own some of these. And it's an environment where, you know, oil is just disrupted and natural gas is even more disrupted. And perhaps it all comes back and we all regret uh, buying oil stocks and it just goes back to the way it was before. But I just don't think that's in the cards right now. So I think it's something where you don't necessarily chase the rally in oil stocks. Um, but you look for an opportunity. If you look for the opportunity, when they pull back, um, like they did, when you see that kind of drop, I think that's a good time, a good time to, to, to jump in and, and maybe pick some up. Thank you. Okay. Hal has a bunch of questions and I'm going to try to consolidate them. Uh, he's looking at the 10 year yield and he knows that it's barely moved. So why has the math on valuing stocks changed if that's the case? Um, I believe it's because the market has stopped focusing on the 10 year, which completely was its focus um, for a while there and is now focusing on the two year. Um, tell us a bit more about the two year. So the two year has uh, is the one that really that, that very closely reflects uh, expectations for where the Fed's rates might settle. Um, and uh, I was reading a technical note this morning that was pointing out that the correlation of the market to the um, uh, to the correlation of the market um, has risen um, uh, in regards to the two year uh, and come down some off the 10 year. So I think partially the market is focused on on, the, on this two year yield right now. Uh, I know that's not a great answer because you're right that the 10 year hasn't um, um, it hasn't really moved much at all. And so the, that longer term yield is is still um, pretty much where it was. But that two year is what's really causing people to sort of freak out and uh, is really what the market is paying attention to now. He also notes that financial stocks have been more abundant this year, even with rates rising. And I think he speaks for many people on asking, why aren't they excelling in this environment? I think it's just because business is going to be tougher. Um you know, the, they, they are going to be able to make more money off of their on their margins um, from um, the money that people put into checking accounts and whatnot. Um, but, but a hard landing means loan growth is going to be. Something. Yeah. I mean, even if we don't have a hard landing, loan growth is probably not going to be great. Banks are already kind of tightening the purse strings a little bit. Um, and if we do get a recession, then you're going to have loan losses and you know, they're in much better position um, to handle this, uh, to, to handle that kind of thing than they were, um, you know, I think pretty much any time in the last, uh, you know, 20 years. But, uh, 
they still are going to have to deal with the fact that uh, people are going to be missing payments on credit cards and on loans and whatnot. And that makes it uh, really hard. You really want them. They've always done well when rates are rising. That's usually when growth is good. And we have rates rising when growth might not be so good. Um, and, and that's just a, it's a very weird setup, um, as I guess probably the, uh, the easiest way to say it. And, and I think that they still haven't had their moment where they've convinced people uh, following the financial crisis, even though I know that was a long time ago, they still haven't been able to convince investors that they're a good, that they're saw long-term stewards of money and they somehow need to, to prove that. And I don't know what's going to do it because I've, gotten uh, you know sucked into bank stocks uh, many times over the years to see them rip higher but then not be able to build on it um and uh so we'll have to see what happens and one thing i i, I do know is that they are pretty cheap um you know andrew barry um who i know all of you have probably read points out that you know when a goldman sachs is trading uh, you know below uh or around one um, times tangible book that's a great time to buy um and he recommended it earlier this year. And these are the kind of things where if you are a long-term investor, looking at those kind of levels and, you know, identifying when these stocks have sold off um, is probably not a bad thing to do. Um, to, you know, when they're under their tangible book value, there's a good chance you're getting a fairly cheap stock. They are completely uncorrelated and unrelated, but I sometimes look at banks and gold and wonder why neither of them worked at a time when they both should have. I think gold has been um, really stymied by how strong the dollar has been. Um, Could well be. And it, so if you look at a chart of gold and you look at a chart of, uh, of DXY, um, the, the, dollar the dollar index, index. Um, they kind of are, have been going in the, they were actually, strangely enough, um, this year, they started off the year kind of moving in the same direction. Um, and it was only later when the dollar started really breaking out that gold and uh, started going down and um, the dollar kept rising. Um, but it had to do with more, I think, with a breakout in the level of the dollar, um, where maybe this dollar strength looks like it'll be sustained um, that um, has caused problems for gold. So Mike has a question. Do you have any thoughts on emerging markets as U.S. interest rates rise? Um, Gosh, I wish I did. Um, I I, I want to like emerging markets, um, and there's there always seems to be something that uh, gets me to um, step back from them again. Uh, today, you're always emerging is the problem. Well, it doesn't. And so you look at something like part of the problem is that we're in an environment where um, you know we have a strong dollar, um, and so. At any money that we are going to be putting into um, emerging markets um, is going to be um, some of that money is going to be eaten away by strength in the dollar. Um, and so you either end up having to um, uh, to hedge it um, to avoid that uh, dollar um, exposure um, or, or you just need to avoid it. Um, I'm, I'm looking right now at a chart of um, actually I'm, I made it. Uh, mistake here. Give me one second. Um, but if you look at uh, the MSCI, um, oh, actually they're right around the same. Okay, ignore me right now. Um, but I, I worry. I, I worry about the dollar exposure. I'll put it that way. Um, 
which it can, um, as long as the dollar is strong, it makes things tough for emerging markets. For I think we're going to be looking a lot more. We're going to look a lot more at the dollar. In yes. Weeks. So, all right. Last question is coming from me. We all focused last Friday on Jackson Hole and what Jay Powell would say regarding interest rates and inflation. This coming Friday, we're all going to be paying close attention to the jobs market as the government releases the August payrolls report. What is the current consensus estimate and where are things likely to land? Um, well, the consensus is for, let me find my numbers here, it's for about 280,000 new jobs. Um, that would be down from 471,000 in July, but still a very strong number. Um, the unemployment rate is supposed to stay basically unchanged at around 3.5%. Um, I, I think these are the numbers that we're really going to have to pay attention to going forward. The Fed's fears really seem to be tied to the job market that, you know, it's raising rates and the job market isn't getting weaker. Um, and we're seeing wages go up to the point where um, Nicholas over at uh, DataTrek uh, today, you know, he's, he says, you know, the new bubble, he described wages as being in a bubble and that that has to be terrifying the Fed. Um, so these numbers, I think, are really the most important numbers to watch, especially the wage component um, that comes through with them. Um, the average hourly earnings, um, the st as long as these numbers remain strong, the Fed is going to keep tightening. Um, yeah, we talked about long cycles earlier in the call, and it seems to me that stronger wages is part of a new cycle because we had a very long cycle of depressed wages. Very much so. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Lauren. I think you um, there, there's a period of catch up here um, for uh, people who had their wages stuck for a very long time. And um, that could be um, very good for individuals um, if you have a, if you have a job. Um, it's tough if uh, prices of things like food are going up and it's certainly tough if you don't have a job. Um, so watching how the Fed tries to navigate this, because I think there are political pressures here, too, um, from uh, the Democratic side, is you don't want to blow up the gains that uh, workers have attained in the last few years either. Um, so it's it's, it's going to be a tricky one, but these are the numbers to watch. I mean, it's, it's all about jobs, I think, at this point. Well, I have to say, I would not want to exchange jobs with Jay Powell at the moment. Heck no. We get, uh, I mean, <laughs> I like to think we have some accountability, but God what he has to be dealing with is just, uh, I mean, it's incredible. Right. Right. I think I'll keep my job. Yep. Anyway, we'll be back next Monday. Excuse me. We won't be back next Monday. It's Labor Day. We'll be back the Monday after that. But this weekend in Barron's, we'll have our full market outlook. So we'll keep you posted on markets. Thanks everybody for tuning in today. And thank you so much, Ben, for joining me. Thank you. Lauren. Good to be on the call with you again tomorrow on Barron's Live. Reshma Kapadia, our associate editor, will be speaking with Andy Rothman, investment strategist at Matthews Asia, about China's economic, political, and geopolitical challenges as the world's second largest economy it faces the fall and faces what may be a new world order. I think it should be a very interesting call. That's Reshma Kapadia speaking with Andy Rothman of Matthews Asia about China. Thank you again for listening, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.